0: If I work more than 40 hours a week, I have failed myself. You cannot add value to anyone else's life until you've added enough value to your own. I truly regret the man that I was, except in the case, in the ways in which it made me the man I am. Day one became a way of looking at breaking down big tasks, being a leader, being mentally healthy, being physically healthy. I'm going to totally regret doing this podcast later. (laughs) I'm like...
1: Now listening to The Oliver Manolese Show. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Oliver Manolese Show, a show where I, Oliver Manolese, uncover how high-achieving leaders and entrepreneurs overcome adversity. This week, I want to share with you the featured review of the week. This is from Anne Becks, and Anne shares, love this podcast, the stories, and in particular, the moments that have been pivotal in transformation are skillfully encouraged from each guest. Thank you so much, Anne, and if you have been tuning into the show for a while, you've been getting value from the show, it would help support us if you can go to your podcast app and write us a five-star review. It would help so much, and it would be deeply appreciated. What role does self-respect play in our ability to lead and perform at high levels? Hmm, something to think about. How does keeping a promise lead to writing and publishing your first book? How did lessons in overcoming alcoholism help give birth to the day one philosophy? These are just a few of the juicy topics I get into with Drew Dudley, the best-selling author of This Is Day One and founder and chief catalyst of Day One Leadership. So a couple of months ago, Janet and I went to an event that's called Creative Mornings. This is a monthly speaker series that we really, really enjoy attending. And one time we go in and Drew actually graced the stage. So here's this guy like dressed really well, really sharp with a fedora on and just sharing some remarkable stories, like dropping some serious truth bombs that had me and Janet like writing down so many notes and so many quotes and so many insights. And I literally filled maybe three pages of my journal from his talk. and And I don't necessarily do that all the time when I go to Creative Mornings, but this time, oh my God, I had so much to capture and so many things that I wanted to remember. So from his story, from overcoming alcoholism, the lessons that are embedded in some of those stories uh, of, of his travels around the world and just, just astounding things that have happened in his life, his philosophy on leadership. I knew that he'd be an incredible guest for the show. And what's interesting is I looked him up afterwards to research him before the show, before recording the interview, and I realized I know him already. I actually first came across Drew from his TED Talk called Lollipop Moments. And funny enough, I even sent this video to a whole bunch of my coaching clients to watch for the last couple of years. And uh, he just made such a huge physical transformation from when that video was published to how you know where he's at with his health and fitness now that I I wasn't even able to recognize him and we talk about that in the show. So if you haven't seen it, make sure to look it up. It's called Lollipop Moments. And this has been voted as one of the 15 most inspirational TED Talks of all time. And it's also been listed by Time, Business Insider and Inc. magazine as speeches that will make you a better leader. So if you haven't had a chance, make sure to check it out. If you don't know Drew, Drew has worked with world-renowned organizations such as McDonald's, Procter and Gamble, J.P. Morgan Chase, Hyatt Hotels, United Way, and over 75 colleges and universities. He was the director of leadership development programs in University of Toronto for many years before starting Day One Leadership. And it was just a true pleasure to do this interview with Drew. And uh, if you get some really great nuggets please screenshot the show share it on instagram share it on your stories and make sure to tag or even dm drew at day one drew on instagram and uh with that said ladies and gentlemen i'm incredibly excited to share with you my conversation with drew dudley all right, ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Oliver Manolese. You're tuning into the Oliver Manolese Show. I am with the amazing Drew Dudley, author of This is Day One and the CEO and founder of Day
0: One Leadership. Thank you so much. Oh, man, it's my pleasure to be here. We're coming on to the show oh, I'm thrilled. Thanks for coming to my place to come on the show. Yeah, absolutely. You actually just sort of brought the show to me, and so we're good to go.
1: (laughs) And we have uh, Facebook Live happening, so people are tuning in. Say hello. Maybe we can answer some questions uh, on Facebook Live. But for the purposes of this show, I just want to give some background, some context. Your TED Talk, and I'm sure you hear so much about the Lollipop TED Talk, um, because that's the thing that's kind of your claim to fame that kind of got you your the, the, the buzz around you. This is something that me and my fiance Janet have talked about literally for years. It was incorporated into her yoga teacher training. I share it with my clients. I talk about creating lollipop moments. And then I didn't even put two and two together until I looked you up after I saw you speak at Creative Mornings because that was just probably the, the most notes that I have ever written at one of these events and I was just jaw dropped. I was blown away and I had to introduce myself and, and invite you to come on to the show.
0: Well, I'm thrilled. I've never heard it used for yoga training before, but yeah, the, the, the lollipop moment, uh, I have quite often spoken for 55 minutes in front of an audience and then when I start telling that story at the end, I actually see people go, oh, it's that guy. Uh, I mean, I had a fedora, I was 100 pounds heavier, I get it too, but it's the lollipop moment concept as opposed to my name. Like I don't have a claim to fame, but the concept of a lollipop moment is sticky. And so it sort of has found its way into a lot of people's mindsets, but my name isn't particularly connected to it. So it's kind of fun to watch people listen to you and hopefully get engaged with what you're doing and then only later on realize, oh, you're that guy. So... It's funny. They then like the entire speech more now that they know that you're the guy who did a speech they saw before.
1: And yeah, I think you're right. Like I, I knew the the lollipop, the lollipop moments, and I've seen the video so many times. Um, but then afterwards, just connecting the dots, I was just like, wow! Like first of all, the physical transformation. Like, yeah. Congratulations. Like, Thank that's you. a big big difference.
0: Yeah, it's uh when I'm 100 and some pounds and uh the joke I've been making lately now is that uh, now it's 75 pounds because for a long time it was 100 and over the course of the year with the book tour my my father had a bit of an illness you had to spent a lot of time in hospitals. Uh I have expanded a little bit, but it's all part of the whole philosophy, right? Is this is day 1. So what i 'm trying to do is recommit to those behaviors, which is just to go to show you right. You can write a book about doing all of these things, and it, it's n- never stops being a challenge for anyone to do it is mm-hmm. you know I talked about the process, I talked about commitment to it, and it 's still hard for me, uh, but you recommit every day you don 't restart you, you do a recommitment, and it, you know, it 's a challenge
1: yeah the the fact that you go with the the, the philosophy of day one and it 's all over. Uh, your your talks and your videos and your book, which I literally I just devoured on uh, Audible at one and a half times speed, <laughs> and um, I just I just like that because so many people feel like when they veer off the path, then oh that's it, I screwed up, it's yeah. over, um, maybe next year, right? Whereas your philosophy is so much more about every day is an opportunity. Like this day is the opportunity. This is day one. Can you tell us about kind of how that became like what it
0: is well it's interesting there's a a, there's no reason for anything there are reasons for everything Mm -hmm. and the whole concept of day one emerged over time Uh, there's a story in the book about a guy named Mustafa who told me uh, that as we were driving towards a cliff he looked over and said oh it's my first day (laughs) and I freaked out and you know when he saw that he stopped the the car and he said look like your first day is when you like you always want the new guy because on your first day, you're never more committed. You're never more careful. Uh, you're never more convinced it's going to be the best job you have. You, you ask all the questions. You're not afraid of showing what you don't know. And all of that starts to stop being so true on your second day and onward. So he said, it's been my first day for 17 years. And mm. I bought the company, right? And what I thought was really interesting, the funny thing is... That really resonated with me. And I think it's because I've had so many day ones in my life. Day one starting my own company, which is tough. Like right? the joke I like to make, and I, heard, I forget who I heard it from, was uh, the three most addictive things on the planet are crack, carbohydrates, and a salary. And if you get hooked on any of those things, you're stuck. Day one of being an advocate for mental health awareness, because I'm bipolar, and it took a long time for me to be comfortable talking about that when I traffic in ideas, like my whole career is based on whether people see my intellect as valid. And we still equate mental illness with mental weakness in in this world. Uh, Day one of the weight loss, day Mm -hmm. one of a life without alcohol. Like a lot of the day one philosophy is driven by my experience in alcohol recovery because what you learn is that if you don't want to drink for the rest of your life, you choose not to have a drink today. And because the rest of your life is so intimidating, you kind of have to stop thinking about this is something I have to do forever and simply say, it's, I have to do it today. It's non-negotiable. And on day one, there's this inherent forgiveness and humility and commitment. And so the idea is day one isn't r- restarting. Day one is about saying, okay, this is what's non-negotiable. If I want to stay sober every day not drinking is non-negotiable it's not something i do if i have time it's not something i do in between meetings or it's just what you have to do and the big argument for me that i find in terms of leadership is that we don't make being who we want to be non-negotiable what we tend to focus our energies on each day is what we have to get done in our Mm. to-do lists and we put what we have to do above who we're supposed to be in our own mind. So day one became a way of looking at breaking down big tasks, being a leader, being mentally healthy, being physically healthy, uh, having a successful career, whatever it might be, breaking down these huge things into a daily evaluation. Mm. And what's really interesting is Mustafa, who sort of, kicked it off in many ways and then that melds with my own experiences my personal experiences the alcohol the weight loss they all sort of came together over time he uh, Facebooked me today like yeah i lost touch with him and then all of a sudden i uh, found today uh, this is so weird i was on the (laughs) plane this morning and we were delayed because the weather was crappy and we're getting uh de-iced and whatever and so i don't know why but i was on my computer being like let's see like what photos and videos I've taken on this day in history over the last, you know, I think I got 12 years of digital uh, photos on my computer and up popped a video of him, of him actually giving the, this is day one or live every day. Like it's your first day that happened eight years ago today. Today. Yeah. And so like uh, happy anniversary today. Yeah. And so (laughs) I was like, holy shit. And so I, I put it online. I put the video online. It's like 50 seconds of him, just laying it out. And I thought, I can't believe it's eight years today. Uh, and so I put it on, on Facebook and sure enough, like below uh, on the page about three hours ago, he's like, yep. And today's going to be day one again. And I'm just like, it's not, I looked online. It's him. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. So he, that. he and I have been chatting back and forth throughout the last half hour about, uh, he's like, send it to me. And I said, no, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to deliver it to you. And we're going to do an interview. So, like we're wow. working that out. He's splitting between Turkey and Qatar right now, but yeah, I've I'm pr- I'm pretty excited that we're back connected. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm pretty psyched.
1: Wow, so everything comes back full circle.
0: It, it really does, and it's just so weird that it's today's the anniversary, and then he sees. Like I didn't know he was following me. I had no idea that he's just been hiding in the background all these years. He saw the TED Talk I did about him. I guess, in 2012 or 13. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, I just love it. It's great. I'm like, why didn't you reach out, man? I've been talking about you all over the place. Like, He is an extraordinary leader in my life, and he's played such a big role in the whole philosophy. People love that story. It kicks off the book. It's the first story in the book. It's the first story in some of my keynotes. And just to have him reach out and and have the opportunity over the last few hours, even before you got here, to say, this is the impact you had on my life. It's exactly what the book's about. And Mm. I'm pretty psyched, as you can tell.
1: That's incredible, and, and I remember I remember that story, like doing the Lion King thing. Yeah, yeah. I gotta. <laughs> it's, reg- like, it's Mustafa. Yeah, I gotta, not uh, Mufasa. Yeah, I gotta go relive that.
0: I called him Mufasa when he told me his name was Mustafa, and yeah, then he made me think he was pissed at me. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so that's when I knew I was with a good guy because he just had me like hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, oh my god, I got to spend six hours with this guy who hates me because I just mixed him up with a cartoon character, and he just broke into this <laughs> smile and said. No, nah, man, I love the tease. Let's go. you
1: just busting your balls. That's so yeah. good. So I, I would love for people to get an idea of what your life looks like right now. Can you give us a little bit of a snapshot? Because I know you... You, you just published your book. Yeah. You just literally flew back in town today. Yeah. Um, you have a very busy schedule. You have multiple interviews that you're doing to promote the book and, and, to, and to share your message. Can you share a little bit about what that looks like? What does that entail? What does that demand of you? And, and what do you get to experience on a day-to-day basis? And then we will contrast that with you know, some of the maybe challenges or adversities that have led you to where you are.
0: Yeah, that's a, no one's ever asked me that directly. Like, what is what does life look like? And it's a little different right now. When I first started doing this, when I left the university, what I discovered was I went hardcore. Right, you started speaking every chance you got. I think I did 105 engagements over the course of a year, which you know translates into about 300 and some days on the road. Right, and you're doing it for not very much money because you're getting your name out there, but you love it, and you're awesome. Uh, but you're also in your late 20s, or I guess I was 33 years old. And the difference between how you feel doing things when you're 33 and 41 is mm-hmm. profound. And I, like, I don't want to sound like the old guy, but... Um, <laughs> so you ratchet it back, because I think that uh, one of the things that's really important, one of the things I talk about in the book is one of my core values is self-respect. And self-respect is a commitment to recognizing that you cannot add value to anyone else's life until you've added enough value to your own. Mm. And what's odd as an entrepreneur, and I said this on an entrepreneurial panel uh, recently, and it got a lot of eye rolls, is that if I work more than 40 hours a week, I have failed myself. And in the world of hustle culture... That was a
1: punch in the soul. For the whole room when I oh, did I say that. did I say it there?
0: You did say it. Oh, said, okay. If I work
1: more than 40 hours in a week, then I've failed myself. And I was like, yes. Y- well, you know what's... Like, it- I'm so about that.
0: Because, well, no, I said it in another conference. I never said that out loud before. And I just watched the reaction. And there was people who were just downright eye roll, like... Because it's hustle culture, right? It's 100% hustle culture. You know, work while they sleep. So you can... It's just... Basically, it's just destroy yourself so that when you're 40... You're not, gonna, you're not gonna vacation while they work. You're gonna keep working 90 hours a week, right? Like if you got a Wolf of Wall Street poster on your mm-hmm. wall, you'd miss the point of that movie, okay? Oh. But I think the reason I did it again is I watched how it hit people and they're like, that's not right. And why go on stage and say the same shit everyone's expecting, right? So um, what happens is I started to realize that you cannot uh, you cannot be at your best. And when you're given the opportunity to impact other people's lives, you would better take care of your own, which is part of the reason why I lost the weight because I'm standing on law, on stages saying to people, uh, leadership is about a disciplined daily commitment to making choices to behave like a leader. And when you're 320 pounds, you're clearly not doing that for your own health. So there's a credibility thing there for me. Also, you know, I had to fly a lot. The seatbelt was getting tight. I went down to a Universal Studios, I was in Orlando giving a speech, and in the afternoon, I'm like, oh, I'll go ride some roller coasters. I-, I was only allowed on one. I was too big. Uh, wow. Yeah, like, at the Harry Potter ride, they told me, this poor, like, 18-year-old kid was like, I'm sorry, sir, but your dim- uh, this ride cannot safely accommodate your dimensions. And so for me, you know, weight loss wasn't so much I want to look better. Weight loss was like, look, I had left the university. I was rejected for life insurance. I was rejected for disability insurance, for critical illness insurance. I wasn't allowed on roller coasters. My dad had another heart problem. Like I was going to die and I liked my life. And so self-respect is a really important value. What's happened recently is it's hard to bounce that, right? Like I put more weight on because you want to put out the book. And you put out the book, and you make a commitment to trying to get it in people's hands. People agreed, buy it, um, come out and uh, promote it, talk about it, and you know it's been forty-five engagements, I think, or something like that, since August twenty-first. And when you think about it, August twenty-first, was what? Wow, um, September, October, three, three months, months ago. ago. Like so, that's one every two days, and it's been in uh, probably thirty-five different cities, right? And I'm a first-time author. So it's not like you can say to a city, I'm coming to New York on the 12th. So do the event then like basically as a first time author, you, if people call and say, we want you on this date, you go there. So since August 21st, my life has been, um, get up, fly somewhere, um, usually spend the night, get up the next day, go somewhere, speak, talk to people afterwards. Cause I love doing that because people are asking questions about the book, uh, and then go to the airport and do it again like travel is cool travel is really cool but to be honest it's like airport uber hotel room windowless hotel ballroom back to the airport again and repeat and repeat and and it's hard because you want to keep up on emails you want to keep up on um, your friends you want to keep up on relationships i i have a new full-time staff member who's just Invaluable to me, mm. but he's got to wait to get emails and texts back from me, and uh, so it's been really crazy. So it's this balance between being incredibly alone almost all the time, and then being on in front of several hundred people, and just just feeding off of of their attention, um, their engagement with you, mm-hmm. the questions that they have, they're challenging you with things you've never thought about before. So it's been. Uh, probably the most emotionally draining uh, time in the last uh, five years. Because after two years of going 100, a, a, a year, I was like, okay, we're established. Now we're going to have the job serve me as opposed to serving the job. And I think that's something we have to think about. Like we're building a company here. And I think we got caught in the idea that we have to think this is what the company could be. So what do we have to do to create that company? And what I think people have to realize is that if you're creating a company, what you're doing is probably creating the rest of your life. And so the goal shouldn't be what is the company supposed to be and then who do I have to be and what do I have to do to serve it? It should be what do I want to be doing every day when I get up for the rest of my life? And what kind of company do I have to build to deliver that life? Yes. Because the company, at least in my case, all right, I want it to serve my life. Because when the company in my life serves what makes me happy and energized, then I can do what I do best, which is hopefully help other people feel the same way. So mm. it's been nonstop. You know, this is I'm home today and I'm home for ten days, and that is the fir- that is the longest, longest stretch since August, uh, the middle of August. Yeah, so, I know.
1: You said when, when I got here, like, this is the first time I feel so casual. Yeah, I had, my, fe- I had my feet up on the <laughs> desk and
0: everything was awful.
1: I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, would you consider this kind of... So I feel, I feel like from my perspective, the hustle is necessary for sprints mm. and not necessarily like over the long term and like that should be your life day in, day out. Um, does that fit for you? Like, because it's the book launch and now we're in this, in sprint mode, like you're not going to be operating like this
0: forever. Well, right? see, that's what we have to be careful or of, is, right? Or
1: what does, yeah. What, what do you see happening? Cause well, I think the demand for you is probably just going to go up as more people hear your message. They see you on stage. They hear you on podcasts.
0: Let's hope so. Well, see, that's the thing. Do we hope so or do we not? I mean, ideally, in, in a world of, of sharing ideas, you get to a point where you get, you, could, you could speak and share ideas every day that you want to, and then every day you don't, you don't. If you love what you do, though, like this is the thing about sprinting, is it's a drug, right? Is, um, it's like if I had a drink right now, I can't have a couple of drinks. That's not how my brain works. Yeah. I drink until something bad happens when I drink. And that's my brain is different than than other people's. You could go out and have a beer. I can't. I have a beer. I have nine. Uh, And I know on number three that don't have another one, but it's just an impulse. Mm. So you can't, once you realize that, once you start taking control and care of yourself, you can't start. And the thing with sprinting, right, is I get myself into, over the last few years, into a pattern that's healthy and I'm going to the gym regularly and I'm eating right and I'm on the road just the amount of time that I can deliver my absolute best to an audience. And then when I don't have it anymore, you go home. Uh, you stay home for a little yeah. while. You take a week. Once you start doing what's gone on in the last three months, I have loved it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, these last two. It was like the end of a marathon when you are spent and done and you can see the finish line and you're excited about it and you know those audiences deserve the best. But it was like it was a struggle. Like it was, like you know, like gas to, to the. Yeah. Like, you know, when you see a lineman run towards the end zone and he's just like, <laughs> you know, he's going to score. But there's actually a fast guy running behind him. And uh, but now it's so like, oh, well, we could do this next year. OK, let's do it for three more months. You can just keep so like, going cause cause you working, convince yourself, because you can yourself. Right. Yeah. So. So. Um, don't want to lose momentum that's what kills it right is that we don't want to lose momentum and then all of a sudden you've been doing it for 14 months 15 months and i'm not talking about me i'm talking about entrepreneurs this is what we do and and really anything in general is that oh well i'm doing it now and then you think to yourself well if i stop doing it at all well then i'm just not living up to my full potential
1: i was wondering if those the the kind of all in i'll have nine beers can't just have one Was there any fear in your mind of like, well, if I do write a book and finish a book and I go all in, maybe I'll get sucked into like an obsessive compulsive addictive cycle with just going, 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 which goes kind of against to the, the, the the 40 hour, uh, limit.
0: It should have been. Um, I didn't think Mm. about that because like everyone wants to write a book. Everyone wants to write a book with a major publisher and, and that was a big deal. And, and. I didn't think like that, okay. And um, because I, I was really excited about this, and and I don't think it's—I think we've we've done a really good job at it. Like, yes, there was a sprint here, but I also think myself. And the cool thing is, when you you hire someone who you trust, like I have, they also have my best interest at heart, right? So sometimes you need those um, the friends that talk smack to your face and good behind your back, as opposed to what we often get caught yeah. with, which is people who talk kind to your face and smack behind your back you know people Mm. to be but it's hard when you've been going and you see the results to hear someone say yeah we could keep doing this but maybe you shouldn't that's hard right because you convince yourself because i have been i can Mm. and that's something to get you in trouble like because i have been i can indefinitely i didn't think about that so much i wanted the book out the book was a promise i made to someone i loved and so all I could think about was the success of getting the book out, of yeah, fulfilling of the promise. that promise. And um, as that came closer is when I started to realize that this was hard, right? Losing um, Anastasia is the name of the woman to whom it's dedicated. Um, losing her was you know, almost two years ago. And then you start to feel better. And then now you're releasing a book that is very much about her. Uh, The book isn't about her, but to me, the the whole thing was about, this is a promise I made. Because the book was written in 2015, and I put it in a drawer because I was afraid. And I, you know, the imposter syndrome, and it was her that encouraged me, not encouraged me, basically ordered my ass, that book has to get out there. And then she made me promise to do it. And when she died, it was okay. Now there is no question. And what happened I didn't expect is as I moved towards the launch of the book, a lot of that started coming back. You know, you figure, okay, well, it's going to get better the farther away you get, and it did. And then started coming back is that you know there's so much of of her in this book in terms of why it's out there, and that of course is like, well, I don't want to let her down. I don't want to let um, the people who work with me down. I want don't want to let my friends down. So. You know, and I don't, I'm not complaining. I have had an amazing fall, but I do realize that we came very close. I came very close to not taking care of myself along the way. Like it was, I didn't take my own advice in some ways because when the biggest things in your life happen, you do not want to lose that opportunity, you don't want to waste them. And in the name of the biggest things in your life, you actually allow yourself to endanger. Uh, your well-being and I think that we have to be aware of that like what's the point of making these big accomplishments in your life if you don't take care of yourself along the way and well, I don't, I'll acknowledge over the last three and a half months I don't think I have been but I don't regret that as much as because of what it's done is it's reminded me that no life accomplishment is worth sacrificing your life for and I don't mean mm-hmm. like literally doing so I mean is you have to enjoy living through it or what's the point. And I did, I did, but you know, I think we came really, really close to, to overshooting it. But again, I'm 41 years old. I never done this before. Life is always picking something new and trying it right. Yeah.
1: And it's very exciting because I mean, this is probably a new rhythm to kind of get used to, yeah. right? Like, it's, and, and well, it's an old rhythm that's...
0: that I, I I stopped doing when I was like thirty-five, uh-huh. and now you're back at it, and it's weird, right? It's I don't know if anyone with a out different
1: there... level of wisdom and experience behind you. Like, I don't
0: know how how old are you? I'm thirty-three. Thirty-three. You gone tobogganing lately? No. Okay, let me tell you. Like when you're six, like 15, 12, whatever, you go tobogganing, man, it's fun. Like try it sometime this Well, the winter. last time I did, I hurt myself. Exactly. Like, was, it, it was hurts.
1: like six years ago, maybe, and I jammed my elbow on the ground and popped my shoulder, and I've had a shoulder issue since then. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? Like, we're and, so much more resilient when we're little kids. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and I think we have to acknowledge that, not just on the physical realm, but yeah. on the emotional realm. Um, you know, we have an emotional bank. And we use it up as our life goes on. And the cool thing is, we can refill it with friends, with uh, hobbies, with things that we like. But it'll, it'll always, you know, drain a little bit. And as your wisdom goes up, I think sometimes your emotional and physical bank rolls down. And I don't think we should lament as much what we're losing as we should recognize that. Yeah. But look at what we're gaining from this. Yeah. Um, I don't make as many stupid mistakes that I made before. I make plenty of stupid mistakes, but most of the mistakes I make now are first time mistakes, which I think is what growing up ultimately is about. Right.
1: Yeah. So tell us about, um, any cha- like defining moments that were like really challenging for you to overcome, to get to this point.
0: Wow. Uh, lots I suppose I mean everyone's got them I mean I'm a really privileged guy right yeah well because
1: the the important the the thing for me it's like we all look up to people um, who are on stages who've written books and we admire them and we put them up on a pedestal and the thing that we don't necessarily get an inside look at is what adversity do they have to face to get there because I feel like when we get a little peek at that we realize just how human you are um, and if it's possible for Drew, then it's possible for me. It, it, it's it, To me, it's almost more empowering to be able to see that side as opposed to just like, well, you know, it's good. He can do it. But, you know, like that's because he's, you know, he's talented and he's gifted and, you know, he was just born with it. Well, you know, I, I was
0: born with <laughs> it was interesting because I was born with a gear that a lot of people don't have. And that's not necessarily a good thing. This is the thing. I'm bipolar, bipolar 2, which there's a, a state called hypomania. Uh, mania is often being completely detached from reality, and it's very, very dangerous. Uh, and for those who don't know, bipolar is your life swings between two wildly different states. Depression, which people, I think, are familiar with, but if you've never had it, you're not familiar with it. But you're aware of it. Uh, people aren't familiar with depression who haven't had it, but they are aware of it. It's, um, you ever walk through a spider web? Yeah. It's the, oh, it's awful.
1: It's a, yeah. It just cringes. Like it, my, my whole body just locks up. You, yeah. Like, well, what oh. it does is
0: that it, it like it's, you know, it's not part of you, but it literally feels like it's sunk into your skin and you know that there's a part, there's something on you that isn't you, but it, it feels as if it's fundamentally become a part of, of your being in that moment. So imagine, uh, if a spider web was despair, that is depression right and it's this it's this wild darkness it's a big hole in the middle of you that into and you're aware the hole is there and what the day the thing that's awful about it is that you throw everything that's ever made you happy at that hole to try to close it uh friends hobbies food whatever has made you happy in the past and the hole doesn't go away and it's just terrifying and the other part of of bipolar is either hypomania or mania and mania is an elevated state uh, where you feel more confident where you feel more creative uh, where you start to miss social signals and act inappropriately because you feel so confident now true mania is you will also can hallucinate you can completely lose touch with reality you can see things that aren't there uh, believe you have powers you don't have it's very dangerous that's bipolar 1 disorder. Bipolar 2 disorder, the state you get into is called hypomania, which is bit, like it's not quite mania yet, but a lot of the same characteristics are there without losing touch uh fully with what reality might be. And and I apologize about anyone out there is disagreeing with my description of it, but yeah. this is how I it's that it's a slightly less severe, but that's not to say uh not as damaging because when you lose Sight of what's social is socially acceptable it 's incredibly hard on relationships, and what I was born with is that extra drive that that it 's not necessary to sleep much when you 're bipolar when you 're hypomanic, you can be incredibly creative and driven without a whole lot of sleep. Uh, you are actually sort of operating at a at a faster intellectual not intellectual level, but the ideas are flowing faster mm-hmm. and you 're so confident. And you're willing to take risks that I benefited from a lot of that before I knew I was bipolar. That ability to get things done, that ability to be creative, that ability to always just know what the next story people wanted to hear. But that also wore away at relationships. I acted inappropriately. Uh, Bipolar individuals also tend to self-medicate. So, you know, there's the alcohol piece of it as well. And so... I do have to recognize that a lot of the things that allowed me some of the opportunities I had in my life came about because of this gear other people didn't have. And people look at that from the outside and say, wow, you don't have to sleep, and you can write three essays in a night. And It's
1: like a little superhuman in a way. Yeah, uh,
0: but they don't necessarily see those times when… The other side. Because you, you, sw- you swing the other way. And, and not necessarily as fast as I think it gets shown on television, like one day you're super up and one day you're super mm-hmm. down. It's not black and white like that. It it happens over months sometimes. It happens over a year. You can go through a year of depression and then an extended term of hypomania. And yeah, I I guess um, uh, Stephen Wright described it best, the comedian, when you want to talk about what it feels like to be hypomanic. He said, do you ever lean back on a chair and then it starts to tip over and you catch yourself? Yeah. He's like, I feel like that all the time. (laughs) Like it's that like...
1: Like really
0: on the edge. Yeah. And, And so... The problem was you're destroying relationships on one end and you're also creating a life that people look up to and that becomes your identity to you and to them
1: so is this what was happening for you?
0: yeah, this is all through my twenties right and then on like the- you're you're
1: elevating your like your level of success you're rising up but on the in, on the back end there's all also these
0: well this life you create over here when you're in the high gear when you no longer have that gear, all the stuff that you created as your sort of uh, look like, like look at my life, look at what makes me successful, all of a sudden when you don't have the energy to sustain it anymore, it's like this giant anvil over your head where you're like, this life I created is now going to destroy me. And so this is a big part of, of what's going on, but you don't want to let anybody know about it because you think it's going to make you look weak, it's going to make you an embarrassment to the people who love you, and it's going to uh, make you unemployable. And so... That was a big struggle that went through it. And that's it's all in like LinkedIn, you know, in order to when you're hypomanic without even realizing it, your brain's trying to slow down. What is the most easily accessible depressant uh, on the planet? Mm -hmm. It's alcohol. You get drunk. You eat like crap. Um, You have a sedentary job. So you get big. You hate yourself. You think you're a terrible, unattractive person. You feel miserable. So you drink. And when you're drinking, you're eating and because that makes you feel good. It gives you that, and then the cycle goes on that bad pleasure. Like, there's two different types of pleasure. There's good pleasure that, when you feel it in the long term, it makes you better. Exercise, for instance, like that, endorphins, that's good pleasure. But bad pleasure makes you feel good in the moment, but makes your life worse long term. You know, food, drugs, um, alcohol. And so that was a big part of my life, right? And I'm, you know, there's so many people that I hurt because I acted inappropriately or. Um, I didn't like myself and if somebody mildly wronged me, I'd completely cut them out of my life. This was like a real challenge. And then, um, that was like a big one you know, that's sort of what was going on in the background. But what people see is, um, oh wow, you get all these assignments done and you move really quickly through your career and then you get up on stage and you can, you know, go a thousand miles an hour, um, giving these speeches and telling these stories and moving people um, and at the same time, what you're desperately trying to do offstage is just get your life together. And, uh, you know, that started to shift, you know, in 2014, 2015, I started getting healthier, you know, you take, was there, care. was
1: there a breaking point? Uh, was there, a, no. was there a moment where you're just like this? I can't keep going this way.
0: Uh, you know what? Uh, it really, all that stuff I said about not getting health insurance and not being allowed on the roller coaster, Those all kind of piled up all and... happened in the same week. yeah i'm not gonna lie it's all science and i was just sort of like look i don't know how the universe works but come on um and and so that's really when it started and and that was in 2014 and uh that's when the health started working out a little bit better i started taking better care of my mental health the booze stopped the year after um Mm -hmm. and everything honestly you take alcohol out of the equation and everything starts getting a lot better
1: would you would in your experience did you have any did you notice any impact of you increasing your level of well-being did, did it did it have an impact on your ability to perform at your work did you feel more clear more confident were you able to be more resourceful what did you find because i know a lot of people will sacrifice well-being in order to succeed but here you are you're making the transition to you know focus on well-being
0: yeah you know it's i didn't think uh i know we didn't go into this being like let's all talk mental health but yeah um what it was is – sorry, my friends. I think uh, – why don't I wait for you to ask the question, then I take a drink, for God's sakes. Like, nice work there. You take one, I'm like, oh, I'll do that too so the audience can hear gulps. Um, yeah, here's the thing about uh, individuals who are bipolar, really mental illness um, in many ways, is that when you finally find out what it is – because I didn't know I was bipolar till 2007 – and uh, yeah. that's when I hit a really, really, really low. Point. Like we're talking, you know, self harm level of hatred um, and depression. And um, you know, some friends of mine, we went on a trip actually that really saved my life and and made me realize that I I was like, oh, I've done everything I can. I just can't do it anymore. And then I'm like, no, you haven't asked for help. Like you're sitting here saying I've tried everything and it's and it's there's no hope. I'm like, well, you, you still haven't asked for help. So how can you claim that you tried everything, right? Wow. And so what happens, though, is that when I found out that I was bipolar, and the funny thing is, it's a scary diagnosis, but if you talk to some people who've been told, there's almost a relief because now there's a name for it, mm. right? And, and you talk about, to go back for a second, you were talking about seeing people on stage and sharing some of these ideas or, or these stories, and... Part of it's because I found that there's a real power to making people say, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. And, and I think that flies in the face of what I, we grow up thinking, which is often uh, you really want to impress someone. You have to tell them something that makes them go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. But the, really the greatest gift you can give other people is, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. I thought Instead I was feeling you,
1: alone and isolated, and there is something wrong with me.
0: We got to hide it, right? We got to keep it down, and, and so I don't have a good life for someone with mental illness. I have a good life, full stop. I have a better life than a lot of people uh, out there. Like hell, I was born a straight white dude in Canada, right? So, like, I kind of won the lottery there right <laughs> off the bat. No, like seriously, and and also, you know, before we go back into a little bit about um, this, what I was going to say about uh, bipolar in terms of taking care of yourself and what you were capable of after is that I, I appreciate when people are nice enough to say, wow, you're open about alcoholism and you're open about your battle with, with weight. Uh, you're, you're open about the fact you're bipolar. And I appreciate that because I recognize that some of those things are still equated with weakness in this world and they're not, uh, they're not weakness, but I am also a straight white Canadian man who runs his own company and is financially, secure, which means there is the smallest amount of potential consequences to me to do this than to anyone. Mm. Right. I can stand up here and say, oh, I'm bipolar. And no, it's not going to impact for the most part my financial life or my uh, employment. Right. But if you're working two jobs with three kids at home, you don't have that that ability. And so for me, I think if if you're as well off as I am in terms of where I was born and the privilege that I have uh, and you know there's a risk but it's so much less than other people, I think you got to do it, right? And so that has always driven me in many ways. I had a student who really needed help and I told her that I, I battled mental illness just like she was doing and she said, I didn't know that. And I said, well, I don't, I don't advertise it. And she says, so you're ashamed too. Why should I do anything about it? And then smack right to the face, right? Like you are a hypocrite. And so that's why I do talk a, a little bit more about this. And I think that, you know, to shed a little bit of insight into the struggle that comes with mental illness, particularly being bipolar is that that hypomanic dude is really productive like psycho productive. And if you watch wow. my Ted talk, I'm unmedicated at that point. Um, I was on the meds. I moved. It's very hard to get to a new psychiatrist in Canada. Like our, our healthcare is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but mental health side, there's long wait times. So I moved from Toronto to somewhere else. Didn't get a new psychiatrist. Ran out of the meds. stopped taking the meds. You can wow. convince yourself that, Oh, you know what? I know what to look for now. And what happens is that I'm good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I'm good. Well, or at least
0: I can keep an eye out. Right. And so, you know, now I know what to look for. The thing is that the alarm system is flawed, right? Like it's your brain that's supposed to look out for problems with your brain. Not a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened, like you can see how I speak in that Ted talk. If you want to go watch the lollipop moment, Watch how quick I talk, which is a symptom of hypomania, that really pressured speech, the inability to pause, to recognize when everyone in the room is tired of the conversation, but you just keep going. And you know it, but you can't stop. And so what eventually happens, though, is that that creativity, that inspiration becomes a part of who you are, and when you finally find out what is what you're suffering from. They tell you that the treatment can take away the darkness, the depression, but in order to not have to deal with that ever again, you also have to say goodbye to that version of you,
1: Ooh, you know, and, I didn't and think about that. Yeah.
0: Like what basically in order to live, you have to maybe give up what you live for, which is why you will... Like uh,
1: that high energy,
0: creativity,
1: charisma,
0: That like go, go, go. What you think is the best version of you. And it's not, yeah. but... Because it's creating results. It's, so, yeah. you, so you think that, oh, that's this, is, your identity. Like, this is me winning. And so, ah. you know, I remember my doctor saying to me, look, there's medication for this. And you should, you know, there's therapy, there's medication, mood stabilizer. Uh, but I want you to be aware that a lot of creative people resist this treatment because the note that was always just there, the next brush stroke, the perfect color for you, the next story, the next line, the really inspirational turn of phrase that was always just there for you without effort all of a sudden isn't
1: is that what your experience was
0: that's but that well I not it wasn't i'm really lucky but it is for some people but she I didn't know that at the time. So I'm sitting there facing this. She's saying to me, "Look, you need this. Uh, like you may not survive this if you don't uh, accept treatment, but just so you know, that may not be the case anymore. You told me you never feel more alive than when you're speaking that it always just comes, that you just have an this instinctive feel for what to say next and to, to keep the energy up and to impact people, she's like, you need to be prepared for the possibility that will be gone. And uh, that's really scary. Wow. And for some artists and some musicians, it is. Um, and it's torture, right? Because who you were is gone. I was lucky because I think as a speaker, the ideas were coming so fast that I was hard to follow. Um, it was frenetic. And what it did for me is it slowed down the ideas. They didn't go away, but it slowed them down a little. And I won't lie. I am not as creative, especially in terms of what I write, in terms of my ability to write emotionally impactful things. Mm. Can't do it. Like I I found some of my writings from when I was unmedicated. And like, I look at that and go, "I, I, I can't move people like this with my writing anymore. And I'm, okay with that. Um, It is harder for me to create presentations and speeches now than it was then. Um, And maybe they lack as what they had back then, but that's okay. Um,
1: Did you always feel okay about that?
0: No, Um, but not so much on the speaking side of things. It was more like in your personal life. And what happens is, and I could speak for myself, I do know what happens with others, but I should only speak for myself is that you go through something tough at work, you go through something tough in a relationship or with your family, and you start to think to yourself, I could really use that guy who doesn't need to sleep, um, you know, so I can get this work done. Or that girl is, is it
1: tempting sometimes well it's like oh well i'm I'm about to reach the point where this might be helpful
0: no i did that if i tap it oh yeah no i did that um like i did it twice and what happens is you're like that girl will never be interested in the normal drew or there's no way i'll get through this without it and so there were twice or you know from the time i was diagnosed between now and then there were twice where once by because of circumstance and then i told myself i'll be okay that was you know when i left the university Um, and then there was another time where you just tell yourself, I need that guy. Um, and, uh, and both times I did it, bad things happened.
1: What kind Um, of bad things? Well, what's the one that stands (laughs) out.
0: I almost destroyed my career once by getting bombed at an event. Um, once in my life, like one that you were speaking at. Yeah, it was after I spoke, but I was supposed to do another speech two days later and I got so messed up in a manic, uh, hypomanic break. Um, that uh, I just behaved so badly that the organizers asked me to go home. Um, they said, you you can't give your other speech. You've just made such an ass of yourself and, and of us. Um, and, wow. you know, that's still hard to think about. But Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, the thing is, I'm not responsible for what the disease does to me, but I am responsible for when I don't take care of myself and allow the disease to take more power over me than I have over a
1: choice to do so or not.
0: I stopped taking care of myself and uh, yeah and, and here's the thing I am really grateful to a number of people involved in that that organization who forgave me for that and brought me back and and allowed me my career could have been well, over just if they goes to show
1: you like people's yeah. willingness to understand accept yeah. forgive
0: and they didn't have to and they probably yeah. shouldn't have. Um, And, you know, there are people I no doubt uh, who still think less of me as a result of that because that's the only experience they've they've had with me. I mean, it's also why I think we have to be really careful when we look at the uh, what goes on on the Internet, because there is never before in human history has so little of your life been able to destroy so much of your life. Um, Like such a small portion of your life can wreck so much of it now. And we are. We are so relentless and unforgiving on destroying people we do not know when we see the worst five minutes of their life. And that's – I still do it too. But to realize in my case, every one of us in this world has 5% of their life that represents the worst of us when we are – jealous, when we are angry, when we are hurt, when we are vindictive, mm-hmm. when we are downright stupid, for whatever reason, all of us, 5% of our lives represents the worst 5%, right? The worst of who we are. The thing is that 5% right now can, can be seen faster, yeah. but, and so if you shine a spotlight on the five, that 5% of anybody's life, the thing about a spotlight is, well, it illuminates what's in the middle. It throws everything else into darkness. And so I think we have to remember that. And it's hard for me sometimes, but I always do remember these instances as as someone who drank and as someone who was bipolar, mm-hmm. that there is 5% of my life that represents the worst of me. And there are people in this world who have only seen pieces of that 5%. And that's scary in a world. Of, and you know, when you start getting ready, you put out a book that talks about, you know, for the most part, how to make the world a better place, there are people who will read that book and say, this guy is a disingenuous liar, because this isn't who he is, because all they have seen is that part of that 5%. And I'll -hmm. tell you, there was a terror in putting this book out that that was going to be the case. Like, you know, I'm open about the bipolar, I'm open about the alcoholism in the book. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who are hurt by those things, Mm -hmm. who are going to see the book. And then the internet allows you the opportunity to, to say that to people. And no doubt there are people out there who have only seen the worst 5% of my life and read this book and go, this is so awful. And there's two choices you can make at that point. Um, you can say, all right, whatever, he's a dick. Or no, I'm pissed that he's acting you know, like he's not this dick and uh, I'm going to let the world know about it. And that hasn't happened, but that's not to say yeah. someone's not going to pick up this book and say and look at me, say, elevate, don't escalate, and go on my Facebook page and say, what about this time in 2008 when you did this?
1: Well, that, that, that's the thing that is so important for me to address with this show is the fact that um, what I believe is when people idealize somebody else, mm-hmm. right? what you're doing is you're dehumanizing them because you turn them into an idea. And now that they 're on a pedestal they 're an idea, but you 're more than just an idea, and the mistake in dehumanizing them in that way is 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 forgetting and putting aside that they they 're just humans, and they make mistakes and but, d- but the, the thing that I think is so powerful about what you do and and you tell you tell me what the response has been, but you acknowledge it head on you 're not pretending like you 're saying it up front like. Here are the challenges that I've, I've ruined relationships. I've gotten bombed at an event. Um, Like you, you actually, you you talk about the things that you have shame around and you, you, you speak about it up front. I feel like there's an important role that that plays in being able to even, it actually enhances, it elevates, like you say, it elevates as opposed to escalate.
0: Maybe. Uh, Wow, you just put that incredibly well. Um, I never thought of it that way that, you know, when you put people on pedestals, you dehumanize them. Um, Perhaps, I I guess, you know, not to deflect, I appreciate that. But also, like, what's the other option? Like, there's a fear there, right? Like, if I don't do it, someone else might. And so there's, there's also like, there's also, you know, in my mind, I have no doubt that part of it was just like, you better be honest. Because uh, if you don't, if you aren't honest about it and somebody else uh, points it out, you know, I, I can be honestly like, yeah, I know. I'm really sorry. I, I, am re- I truly regret the man that I was, except in the case, in the ways in which it made me the man I am. You know, like, but that's it's weird because it can't be just one or the other, right? Like, oh, you know, you can't be sad about your past because it made you who you are now. No, I'm glad that I've been shaped by the things I screwed up, but I am not happy they happened. Right? Like I can't be like, yeah. And so, you know, the biggest regrets I have in my life are that I hurt other people, and I may never get the opportunity for them to realize that that was the five percent. And in the in the process, if I ever made anybody feel like less than they are that's a terrible thing to do, especially I wrote a whole book about how we can live our lives to not do that. And it's a struggle to know that I, for a large part of my life, didn't live my life like this. But maybe the reason I wrote the book is because since I started doing so, it's a a pretty extraordinary life. And I don't mean like, oh, wow, I get to travel around and give speeches and write books. I mean, I usually really like it. You know, I, I... I feel like I'm a much better person and I don't dislike myself as much. Um, you know, there was a, a period where it was just amazing. You know, like you said, I, there was a shift. I was healthy. I felt alive. I, I bounced out of bed in the morning. I was in love. Um, you know, that there was a really brief period of time where the three prongs of your life, you know, relationships, you know, I'm looking at a tripod here, but like uh, they they're your relationships and your career and your health. Like they're, they're just so rare in your life where all three are there. And I think there was like a year where they were. And then, you know, one gets chopped off. And that's why you have to really make sure the others are strong um, for those moments. Because you were very, very rarely have a tripod where all three legs are good, right? There was a year, you know, and then Anastasia dies. And so that rattles everything else for a while. But one thing that I have to realize is that There is a peace and a strength that comes from knowing the worst thing that's ever happened to you has already happened. And the fact that anyone listening to this has survived every problem they've ever faced. And I don't think we give ourselves credit for that. Like when people are like, I can't do this. I can't make it. This is going to overwhelm me one of the strategies I try to use to help is I ask them, okay, let's talk about the last time that you did not survive a problem. (laughs) And I mean, you you have to acknowledge that that doesn't exist. And if there is no statistical evidence, no empirical evidence that something is true, why would we believe that it's going to be true next time unless you are Donald Trump? the lack of any empirical evidence that there's truth is not like, there's no reason to believe that, that the opposite is true. Like you have never failed to survive something. Mm-hmm. So why would we assume the next time would be any different than that? You have no evidence. That's the case. It is overwhelming the other way. But that I think is something that, you know, I try to remember when the, one of the legs gets chopped out. It's like, this is day one and we can rebuild to that point. I don't know when and I don't know how, but you can decide to be okay. And I think for a long time in my life, I would not believe I was going to be okay until I knew how and I knew why. And I'd sit there and I'd be like, okay, how am I going to be okay? How am I going to recover from this? How am I going to get through this? Um, And when? And then once you had those, you can be like, okay, I believe, now that I know those things, Mm. I'm going to be okay. What I have discovered is that you're far better off to say, you know what, I'm going to decide I will be okay. I have no idea how and I have no idea when. Choose. But I am going to decide in this moment I will be okay. And once you make that decision, you are much stronger as you seek the how and the why.
1: Wow. You, you, you referred to the three prongs and one of them gets chopped off. Do you feel comfortable in sharing what that was like for you?
0: the the big prong the, yeah
1: the big the big prong the the catalyst for the book
0: well I mean the, the catalyst for the book um,
1: I mean the promise that you made and
0: yeah uh, well I mean uh, one thing you know I was thirty eight years old before I think I really fell in love and if anybody I used to date hears this um, note like I'm not saying that to be a dick like it's just I think we all know that. Um, until you really hit you, you honestly believe that you may have been in love before. And then all of a sudden something comes along and you're like, Oh my bad. Um, Yeah. Oops. I shouldn't have said that before. I just thought it was true. Um, And I think that uh, what I discovered, and I I say this in the book is that what I learned from, um, what I learned from, from Anastasia is that um, love is not like this crazy, fiery passion that, that breeds poetry what it is is fascination, mm. like an unending, like deep, relentless, sometimes infuriating fascination with another human being. And I think you realize you know you're in love when – uh, like we all have different – a million different versions of our future, right? Like you could work at a million different places. You could be with a million different people. You could – um, have tons of different like makeups of your family. You don't know. You have a, especially when you're young, you have a ton of different versions of your future. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, one day, you no longer have a single version that doesn't include someone, this person. And you don't even know when it's happening. It's just you realize you have not conceived of a version of your future without them in however long. It sneaks oh. up on you. And so that was the situation that I discovered all of a sudden. Um, And, you know, it was a a game changer where all of a sudden you feel like you are more. I felt like I was more because of her, right? And and she said to me once, and this really shifted my my life, that um, she said, you know, the best shift you ever made was you used to think that you were awesome because I dated you. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the greatest thing that, that I love seeing in you is you now are realizing that I date you because you're awesome. God. And you realize that we are sometimes in relationships where we look at the other person and we're just like, the fact that, you know, you date me or you're married to me, like means I'm aw- like means I'm awesome. And, and they're like, or- no, like I'm with you because you are awesome. Start believing it, Jack. Like, yeah. And then you get joyful when you have this other part of your your life. Uh, and because and joy is the sexiest thing on the planet. Joy is really the sexiest thing on the planet. So that was, you know, all of a sudden this came into my life and and. uh that, like, I, I don't really know where to go with this at this point, but, but, you know, I wrote the book and put it in a drawer and she found it and she loved it and she said, you need to try to get this published. And I kind of like, okay, okay. And then you just put it away and, and hope they don't bring it back up, right? And every now and then it would come back up, but, you know, it wasn't a priority. And then, you know, in, in, uh, I remember New Year's Day of 2017, January 1st, 2017, we were talking about, um, what do we want to be true a year from today? And she said, I want to know that you tried everything you could to see if you could get this book published by a publisher. And she goes, if nobody wants it, that's cool. But I wanted, I want to know a year from now that like you tried. And I was like, she's like, so promise me you'll do that. And I was like, okay. And, you know, she, she died by suicide 17 days later and, uh, she had been assault, uh, sexually assaulted the, you know, the summer before and, and never, never recovered from that. And, uh, it's hard too to, to watch around the world now. I mean, she was, Trump was elected, you know, the fall before it happened and, and to see the whole world, you sort of minimize, um, sexual assault or, you know, to watch it happen, um, you know i can't imagine what that was like um i can't imagine what it was like for all the women who see it with you know what's going on now and and um men acting as if um this should be we should minimize this because it makes them scared um and and i you know i saw an, you know a really amazing twitter video where a man like a guy really rhymed it where he's like the terrifying thing is is so many of us men i think look back and say oh my God, like, was there a moment in my life where I was that? I think most of us have to acknowledge there was, right? Like where, at least in your mind, you're like looking and understanding what I understand now is that I was part of this problem. And you can choose one of two things to do at that point, which is to get scared of that and start denying that it's a problem or pushing back as if it's some sort of preemptive um, protection of yourself. Or recognize, like, okay, that doesn't mean you can be quiet, right? Because you're ashamed of it. Like, realizing more and more, so you can hopefully adapt your behavior to not be part of that problem. Um, I, I like. It's just, I can't imagine what it's like to to be someone who went through what she went through and watch this go on in the world because. Um, it breaks some people. So the idea that people are doing this for fame or they're doing this for notoriety, and watching, yeah. it kills people when this happens to them. The idea that anybody would live through, like would, would say this or would minimize it or would, yeah, I don't even know. And, and so that, it's been a, a big explosion. I'm still figuring out how, how it impacted me. Yeah. You're still, um, you're still processing it. Yeah. Well, it's her birthday on Saturday. And, and for me, it, I think what it is too, is that for me, like uh, Anastasia had a twin, has a twin sister who's maybe the, like one of the most, like I can't even get over how incredible this woman is, but, um, and so it's, what's, what's odd is that in all the things that I feel, all I can really think about too, is, uh, how her family must feel. And I mean, like, think about it. It's her, like, for the rest of your life, if you're a twin, that's what your birthday is. Like you can't you, – I can't imagine you celebrate it at all for the rest of your life. It must be anguish for the rest of your life. Um, I don't – like – and so that to me is like – and that's also something to to juggle as well is that, yeah, I'm abs- – like it hurts badly. I miss her every day. But there are people who are hurt worse. And given how much I love that girl, like to realize how much that must hurt your, her family, it, it's – It's really um, quite extraordinary. Uh, I don't really know what we're talking about. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that. I'm just like, I I, I just feel like I kind of dove into that there. But how is it you opening up? And and how is I don't know how it's like. I'm still learning how it's impacting me. And and, um, you know, I think it always will. But um, it's a part of my life. The book um, is a tribute to her. And I think one of the the interesting things that I may be struggling a little bit with is. Like the book is the last chapter of her in some ways for me. like that sorry, that came out way darker like, was well, it way... like
1: a is it almost like uh like the process of grieving?
0: Well, think about it. I guess this is what I've been struggling with a little, is that she's gone, and but I had this promise to keep right and so for a year and a half after she was gone i was working on my tribute to her right this is for her
1: which makes her still very
0: present yeah. in that way and now it's done and so that, or like immortalized the, yeah i get it too but the like <sighs> my last thing for her is done yes okay. and uh like so that, I think, has been a thing over the last three months as well is that is this like am I in some ways it closes it. I mean, that doesn't mean to it's forgotten, but it's like that's a, an, an interesting thing to do because there was always this one last thing that I was working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't done like our relationship wasn't done. And now the book is done like this is for her and it's done. And what do we do now?
1: That's an incredible tribute.
0: Well, thank you. I, I think it's, her sister liked it, which was yeah. important to me when I gave. She was the first. She got the first copy, and wow. all I could think of is please don't hate it because I mean, <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's uh, but yeah, yeah, wow. Okay, what's next? That
1: was a very, very, very <laughs> important piece. Thank you for that. No, no problem. So. I'm going to I'll totally just... regret doing this podcast later. I'm <laughs> like,
0: going to, people are going to listen to it and be like, why didn't you talk about leadership well, in very, the book? Cr- but it's um, very courageous.
1: And it's, to me, that's an example.
0: It's that thing though, again, like what could happen to me as a result of, of sharing this, like what someone's going to come out and, and say, you're a dick who's bipolar. I said, yeah, I just said that. Like, um, Are people not going to book me as a speaker? Maybe. But how many of that is there going to be? How many of those Mm -hmm. jerks are there in the world? So I I really appreciate that. But one of the things I just is like, what's going to happen? Right? Like the worst thing in my life has already happened. Um, And it's just way less effort to not lie. Um, So I appreciate that. And people saying it's courageous and vulnerable. But I'm like, I'm really lucky and I will say though that what you'll often find is when you're open, even when you, you think that it's um, that you're making yourself vulnerable and you're going to get attacked, is it you know often that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also recognize that I'm taking less of a risk than most people uh, would. So you know I'm not going to sit that's here. Huma- be-
1: that's the humanity that opens up though, that I see. Well, I because, appreciate because that. you're because you're you're showing yourself and, and you're actually risking yourself not looking good or being criticized or being judged like that's true true vulnerability to me you're you're putting down the armor the mask the weapon and just letting yourself be at risk of be, of not looking good
0: i appreciate that trust me i spent a lot of years in my life doing that to myself right like so <laughs> i mean it's it's one thing so, to i appreciate that you're risking not looking good i'm like yeah. i'd rather choose to risk that as opposed to being like ooh let's have another beer and see what happens yeah, so yeah yeah so, I, I failed to make that decision. I just made those behaviors for a long time.
1: So I want to be respectful of your time, and I, I really, really appreciate this this incredible conversation. And I and thank you for going deep with me. Yeah, I pre- oh, I, I,
0: you're welcome. I, I guess too, you've done a, you do a bunch of podcasts <laughs> about the book, and you're like, let's not talk about the book. <laughs> it's look, folks, it's good. Um, and and it is a tribute to someone I love. So I this is something I worked really hard on. But it's it's been nice to chat about. Uh, some of, I don't know if it's been nice to but I mean, it's been uh, an interesting experience to just talk about some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, because I, I feel like it's so important for people to get to know you and your story and fall in love with your story. Um, and there's so many incredible, profound insights
0: from the book. Like I have notes and notes and notes. Well, so, the, yeah, but the, everything we just talked about now is in yeah. the book. Like it, it, <laughs> it at kind all. Of, you well, kind of guess... just
1: demonstrate it in, in how you, you know, because when, re- when you read the book, you realize what it came from, like what it took to to create those insights, to, to 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 earn those insights. I think that's to me that's super powerful.
0: I think part of, you know what's interesting about the book too is I was thinking of the other day is that uh all of those insights in the book, you know, I collected them and shared them. But I mean let's face it, the, the most of the driving force of that book is the brilliance of other people. Mm. Um is that people Shared parts of who they were and, and what worked for them, from Mustafa, my my dune buggy driver, to my friend Steph Dixon, the, who you know who's a member of the Order of Canada, to you know a high school janitor, to a CEO Allison. Oh God, <laughs> a seven year old girl who smacked me around.
1: That was one of the best, yeah. best stories. You got to read the book to get that story.
0: Yeah, it's that. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and, and uh, I gave her like a ex- uh, little talk about you know how I, I frame an idea. And she was getting ready to do a speech. Actually, she's the one who hooked me up with with Creative Mornings. Okay. And uh, she's like, oh, my God, that's so great. I wish I could use it. I'm like, well, why don't you? And she's like, well, I didn't come up with it. I'm like, have you seen my speeches? Like, all of my speeches are me telling the story of, like, a cool thing someone else told me. I'm like, that's what storytelling is that's what like spreading stories are like the story is the basic unit of human understanding and if i'm sitting here and you blow me away with an insight like you what you said like coming off pedal i will for the rest of my life giving you credit be like look i was talking to this guy and he said something that really blew my mind and i'm gonna pass it on to other people and i think Like, don't be afraid to collect the insights, give people credit for them, but tell people's stories and tell your story because you have no idea what part of your story is going to resonate incredibly strongly with somebody else. Uh, and, And you think it's not important. People don't tell their stories because they think they're boring or they're insignificant or they're less impressive than the person next to you. But your story matters. And the piece of the story that you think is a throwaway that doesn't matter resonates with someone the funny thing about this book and people said, how do you know what you put in it? I've gone through all these years of speaking on stage and any story that I got at least 10 emails or texts from someone about saying that really mattered to me. I put in the book, but what's you, you love the story of Alison. People love the story of Mustafa in the book, Mr. Peters in the book, different people come up to me and say that really resonated. When I heard that, it really mattered to me. And I didn't know. I, like I don't know which part of the stories I've collected or the story that I've lived is going to resonate with someone out there. Mm-hmm. The only way is to put your story out there, and your story does matter. So share it. And maybe you don't want to stand in front of an audience and do it, but something you say to someone who does, they'll take it. They'll grab it. They'll say, "Thank you for changing my life," and now I'm going to go change other people's with it, and that's cool.
1: That's incredible. What well, What would you say is something that we can take away and, and take an action on from listening to your story and, and from you sharing your sharing of yourself and letting yourself really be seen today.
0: I think the last answer, like, I think, yeah. uh, like tell your story. Uh, and I wish I had gone to like something. You did. Yeah. Well, like I guess you, so. you were giving me way more credit. Um, but I think that's it is that recognizing it, your story truly matters. And and I think that make sure you live your life for the people that surround you. That's what the book is about is to say this is who I want to be and here's the evidence every day. And if you're going to evaluate your leadership every day, you can't live your life for people you haven't met yet, for admissions counselors to college or your next boss mm-hmm. or your next partner. A lot of the stuff we do, we live our lives and every day for someone we haven't met yet. We sacrifice today in the name of, of something we hope for in the future. And the nice thing about saying this is day one, and I'm going to make sure that certain parts of me, certain values are non-negotiable is that the only people you can impact are the ones that surround you. Now you can't make your day about hypothetical people. That's the world. Yeah. People who are around you right now. Yeah. And so what you'll find is that a lot of the stuff we chase money and jobs and prestige and respect. They're not really goals. They're the natural byproducts that come from people who live their values on a committed level every day. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe the book and and the whole philosophy is me trying to make up for all the time in my life I didn't. Um, Maybe that's it. Now I got to sit and think about that for the next, like, Day. Yeah. Thanks, my man.
1: <laughs> well, one of the the biggest things for me is I mean, like, it just shines through the entire book, but I just feel a lot more self compassion for myself. I feel a lot oh. more self respect because, uh, for somebody who's so hard on, like, I mean, you know, I think we probably share that we're harder on ourselves and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we make commitments, we make promises and we can't always fulfill them and we guilt ourselves out or we beat ourselves up for that. But, you know, um, kind of, what you share about is like you don't diminish who you are today that's one of the yeah. biggest things that you said don't diminish who you are today for who you hope to become in the future and i thought that was incredibly profound because i'm just like wow like okay maybe maybe i didn't i didn't work out today or maybe i did eat a crispy cream donut today but this is day like now it's day one like i recommit today i start i, I can start today and that's it and it doesn't make me imperfect it just makes me human being and i think that's really the message that i get is like it's okay to be human it's okay to be imperfect and all that matters is that you you show up and you make a decision and you choose to come from that place like today and it's not this uh huge significant moment this thing that you blow up in your mind like okay that's when i'm gonna show up that's when i'm gonna be powerful what this is it's like no it could be as simple as that lollipop. It could be as simple as the door that you open or the change that you gave to, to the man, right? Like it could be as simple as those little acts uh, of leadership.
0: Or maybe, you know, this is maybe the, the answer to the question you were looking for is that if you're going to take something away and I was listening to you there. Maybe it's the lollipop you give, the, the moment of compassion and impact is when you see vulnerability, don't attack it. And because uh, especially in people you don't like or in people that you choose instantly not to like because it makes you feel better about yourself is that when you don't attack vulnerability, you maybe make it less likely that someone's going to attack yours. And we're all better off if we are open about what scares us and hurts us because, you know, then everyone else feels comfortable doing the same thing. But to do that, each one of us has to, when we see vulnerability, when we see an opportunity to take somebody down, to make ourselves feel better, or because we just straight up don't like them, um, and we choose not to, that's leadership. Wow. That's real leadership. That is. Write I that. Love I got to write that down. I need. To I write have it. We have it recorded. You're gonna get. You're gonna get it, gonna get it. <laughs>
1: Drew. Tell us where to find you. What? 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 Uh, like what social media platform that you're. Kind of really present in you're showing up in that we can you know stalk you online.
0: And... <laughs> uh, Drewdudley dot Uh it's D u d l e y, so drewdudle dot com, and that can link you to all the stuff. If you're looking for me on social media, like it's just day one Drew almost everywhere. D a y o n e Drew. And that's you're probably gonna find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all on there. So I am an Instagram dude. I love Instagram because. There's no political fights on Instagram. Mm, People just posting stuff that makes them happy. Here's my dog. Here's my food. Um, here's my bay. Whatever. And I, <laughs> and
1: I highly recommend that you grab the book. Grab This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters. I consumed it on Audible, which is because my first engagement with you is through video, hearing your, spe- your speech. And then I, I saw you at Creative Mornings. And then just listening to your voice, uh, it just made it so much more kind of enlivening for me.
0: Except where, except where I spoke French, which was a debacle. <laughs> Uh, and I want to apologize to anyone who gets the audiobook and has to listen to what I did to the French language. I'm I'm really sorry.
1: Drew, thank you so much for oh, taking man, the time. Oh, man, thank you. This I was... really, really appreciate
0: it. I'm really glad you walked in and did this today. It was, uh, it's got me thinking. I think I kind of need... Thank you for all the kind words. It's it's one of those days where maybe it was it was really cool to be reminded to take my own advice. So thanks, man.
1: Thanks again, Drew, for coming on to the show. Guys, if you haven't already picked up the Wall Street Journal best-selling book This Is Day 1 by Drew Dudley, make sure to go pick it up at drewdudley.com or you can pick it up on Amazon, you can pick it up on Audible, which is the way that I listened and consumed with great pleasure Drew's <laughs> incredible insights and storytelling ability. If you got value and I know you got value from the show, make sure to hit hit Drew with an Instagram DM or you know tag us in one of your instagram stories you can find drew at day one drew and tag me as well at oliver manalese and uh, let us know what you thought let us know what you got out of it let us know that you're listening and uh, as well to support the show make sure to go to itunes give us a five-star review give us a written review that helps gain so much more exposure uh, for for the oliver manalese show and it is greatly greatly appreciated And that is all. I'm so excited to be with you in this conversation, guys. I look forward to seeing you next time.